You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Six thirty-one on a Friday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. That music can only mean one thing. That's trade deadline music, hundred percent. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Trade deadline, trade desk, all of it is brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags Showroom in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. Elliot Friedman's on the line. We're going to get to him in just one second. Before we do, two more bits of business I need to get to. I'll do it quickly. One, the 2023 RBC JACC Sports Dinner is coming up on March 28th. You can be a part of the dinner by entering the 50-50 draw and the Do It Cadillac raffle on now. Visit sportsdinnerraffle.com for tickets. This year's guest speaker, brought to you by ZLC, Rob Gronkowski. Gronk. Yeah, it's true. For full event info, go to jccsportsdinner.com. Andy, finally, tell the people about the tickets that we're giving away today. Yeah, a pair of Canucks tickets to Monday's game versus the Predators. Uh, best what we learned or ask us anything. Hashtag WWLAWAAUA, rather. And the ticket emoji. Now, let's go to the phone lines. Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet's very own, joins us here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Freed. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Gronkowski, eh? That's pretty good. That's a good get. It's a, it's a cool dinner. They usually get pretty high-profile guests, mm-hmm. but Gronk, yeah, I, I imagine they just get him up there and he just spikes stuff for about 30 to 45 minutes. But uh, let's focus on this trade deadline here. In Vancouver, uh, I know that everyone's saying the likelihood of JT Miller getting moved today is low, but I almost want to go back and look at this last week and try and figure what the heck just went on. I don't know if you saw it or not, but last night Miller magically recovered from his yeah. week-to-week injury to participate in a game against the Minnesota He's a Wild. warrior. He's a warrior. It's magical, really, how these things happen. Do you have any idea of what exactly has gone on or is going on or might go on? You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So I got a call this morning. I, I was up at 6, which is late for you guys, but I'm not I'm not a morning person. And uh, I got a call, like, at, like, 6.05, from someone and this is not I'm going to clarify right away that this is not a member of the Canucks organization and the, I, I pick up the phone and I say hello and the first thing I hear is you guys are clowns and I'm like okay uh, that's a good way to start the day and uh, he says to me that you know we've got one, one he, he says to me we've got one guy reporting that Pittsburgh wants two first for Miller We've got another guy reporting that, or Vancouver wants two firsts for Miller. We've got another guy reporting uh, Vancouver turned down a trade with Pittsburgh because there was only draft picks. It's just like, do you guys have any idea what you're doing? And by this time, I've just got the phone on speaker and I'm shaving. Like, I'm just letting the guy rant. And he just said to me that, uh, he said that, uh, like, he just he just complained about all the stuff coming out out of Vancouver saying or about Vancouver, just saying that everything you guys are reporting is wrong. And I said to him, well, if one person reports one thing and the other person reports the other thing, then one of them has to be right. So somebody's right. And that only made this person even angrier. Like it was just a, a hilarious conversation at 6.05 a.m. Um, I think, look, I, I think, I think the Canucks have their hands in a lot of stuff. I, I do. Like, like I'm supposed to be this fantastic insider 
And like, I didn't see the Ronak one coming. Like nowhere did I see that one coming. And so I think the Canucks have their, look, this, this time of year is crazy. There's a lot of crazy stuff that, that flies around. And it's the, the biggest challenge is knowing what's true and what isn't. Um, that, is, that is a huge challenge. And I think that at this time of year, there's so much flying around that it, it, sometimes it's hard to tell the fiction from the, fa- from the fact. But look, I think, that, I think the Canucks have a, a lot going on. Uh, I, I would be surprised if Miller was, was dealt, but I've been surprised before. As for what happened with him, I think that guy, I think he marches to the beat of his own drum. And if he decides he wants to play, he's going to play. Uh, the person that called you, who was not a member of the Canucks organization, um, was he in the no? Like, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to ask you a question uh, without you yeah, burning like, your I'm, sources. Yeah. Like, it, I, I'm it, just, it, 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 it's somebody, it's somebody who has an idea of what's going on, and uh, you know, he just, he, 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 like, he just said, like. Like, like, like people, like, uh, one of the things that people talk about, like, like, especially in the social media uh, era, like, things go wild. And that's the whole thing. Like, social media is the mob, right? Mm-hmm. And no, nobody controls the mob. There are things I, I put out there, I think, boy, this is going to be a huge story, and it goes nowhere. And there are things I put out there, and I'm like, this is going to be a nothing burger, and then suddenly it's got 11 billion views. So nobody knows which way this is going to go. But, you know, he, he just said to me, like, on uh, Canucks stuff, he says, we're all over the map, and, and most of the time we have no clue what we're doing. And it was pretty funny. Like, it was, like after, he, after he finished venting, we had a good conversation about it, and we were kind of laughing a bit. But he just said to me that he thinks the, the information on the Canucks that comes out, he said there's, if there's one team that he thinks – there's more misinformation on that information. He says it's Vancouver for whatever reason now. And, and part of the reason he said it is I said to you guys was, we're all talking about what we, we think is happening here. And then this Ronan deal comes out of absolutely nowhere. So he's like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. It was, it was, it was hilarious. Like it was, it was a really funny conversation. <laughs> An, that's an that's an early conversation to be woken up for, especially on on a, on a long day for you. Um, Look, like I, I like I think honestly, Jason, I think they could do almost anything. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I look at the Canucks right now, and I, I look at Rutherford's history and and how unafraid he is to do something once he puts his mind to it. Historically, like I think they could do anything. I, I really like we know who's not getting treated. Do I think Miller's getting traded? I think it's very unlikely. I could be surprised, but I think it's very unlikely. Do I think uh, Besser's getting traded? I think they're really trying. I think he, they're really trying. I think the agent's really trying. It's just complicated this time of year. Like, that's – I think that's – and then, look, like, could they do something else that we don't see coming? They already have done it once, so why would you think that it's impossible? Is it safe to assume that trying to make the playoffs matters for the Canucks next season? Because this is often like the question that it comes down to in Vancouver. How much does next season matter? And when they got Horonic in the door um, and they haven't traded Miller and they haven't traded Demko, 
we're kind of just sitting here and going, okay, is this just going to be a repeat of last season in terms of the narratives? You know, Bruce Boudreaux started off this season by saying it'll be a disaster if they don't make the playoffs. And boy, was he right, because it's been a disaster. Um, so a lot of people wondered, especially when they traded Horvat and they acquired the extra first-round draft pick, maybe the Canucks are going to be okay with taking a step back, and then they use that first-round draft pick for Horanek. Um, and so people were like, okay, here we go again. The Canucks are not willing to take a step back next season trying to make the playoffs. It matters to them. Is that the feeling you get? Well, I think I think now you have to uh, – um, <clears throat> I, I think now – look, like, Jason, you've been, you've been a Canucks fan all your life. You've been a Canucks fan the last little while. I think at this point in time, we all have to look at the evidence. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what does the evidence tell us? The evidence tell us that they're not in the mood for a long rebuild. I was talking to uh, um, a, a governor on a Canadian team a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the one thing that he said to me, and they're a team that has done rebuilds before. And he said to me that, the one thing you have to remember is, and, and everybody forgets, and he's like, thank God everybody forgets. Um, thank God everybody forgets. He said, it's COVID. He said, like, COVID really hammered these teams. And he said, like, I know, he said, in our organization, like, like, we lost a lot. And does it affect how we do business? Yes, it does. And so I think when you get the DNA of the Canucks, like they want to be in the playoffs, I would bet that because of some of the losses that came over the past couple of years, that that factors into it. Now, like, like that's what the, that's what him and I were talking about. He said, absolutely. When they came out of it, they talked about how we could make up for what he lost, at, what we lost at that time. So if you were to tell me that, I don't think that's the overriding factor or anything like that, but if you told me that was a factor, I, I would believe it. Uh, let's turn elsewhere in the NHL today. Who is the biggest name left out there? You know, I, 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 can I answer that with a bit of a trick answer? Sure. See, I'm... I'm naturally paranoid. I think that at this time of year, I'm not generally paranoid. At this time of year, I'm very paranoid. I think there's something out there we're not seeing yet. There usually is, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you remember a couple of years ago, it was Rana for Manta. Like, I never saw that one coming. Mm -hmm. This one this year, Ronick for that pick, I never saw. I never saw that one coming. Um uh, like I, I think that one of the things you look now is that all the names, like who, who are the names that haven't been traded yet that we've all been waiting for? Well, there's James Van Riemsdyk. So that's, that's one. He's probably the biggest name left that we're expecting. So now you're looking at what's out there and what's out there that we haven't thought of. Like, like I'm still waiting for Winnipeg. I'm wondering about Calgary. Five points out. Their math isn't good. They've got a lot of good players, especially ones who've got one more year under contract. Um, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to do anything, but they could, and those are good players that teams like. Um, you know, we'll see. I think there's, I think there's something out there. Like, like I got to tell you this this morning, I I had some team that said to me that there have been teams calling San Jose about uh, Mario Ferraro, and I don't think that's likely. 
But, you know, it just shows to me that teams are making calls on players that you wouldn't think about. So uh, I always think there's going to be a surprise. Do you think Steve Eiserman has something up his sleeve for this deadline, or is this more about preparing for the offseason? Uh, I think he... I think he's got his depthy out there. Like what that deal showed to me the other day, uh, uh, Jason is is that if you if you <laughs> call him with something, like I, I think that Islander pick is potentially a very valuable asset. I think that's it to Steve Eiserman. If I get that presented to me, yeah. there's no way I'm letting it pass. And do you think that's sometimes why these deals come out of nowhere? Because it's just a conversation and then, you know, Steve Eiserman's like, holy cow, I can't believe this offer. Let's do it. Done. It's done. Yes. Uh, a guy, uh, yes, I think that happens. And also, like Jason, as much as, as annoying as we are and as reporters and as much we try to figure out, there's always stuff that we don't see. We, there's always stuff we don't see. Always. We're speaking to Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Elliot, big picture, are you surprised at the volume of trades that we've seen so far? So it was 37 going into yeah. this morning, and then Verona got shipped to St. Louis, so that makes it 38. We were talking mm-hmm. about the over-under being way lower than that just because of the very hard salary cap ceiling, so many teams being pressed up against it, and we weren't sure who was going to be a seller or a buyer, but it's completely flipped. And I wonder if we've seen all the moves and now it's going to be a sort of dry Friday or if this trend is going to continue. But overall, big picture, has it surprised you how much movement there's been at this deadline? Uh, Yes, I I am. And uh, I like it. I really enjoy it. I'm sure some of the players don't like it. I totally get it. Fans love it, Mike. Uh, That's important. Your fans, nothing interests the fans more than this, aside from the playoffs, really. Um. But I, I, I do, I am surprised simply because of how tight it was. Um, you know, I, you know one, one GM said to me, first you guys were complaining there's no trades, and now you're complaining there's two major. <laughs> I said, well, by now you should know that we're never happy with anything. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. But I think simply that all these teams bank cap space or maneuvered LTIR, and they all knew it was probably going to happen now, and, and they were right. Uh, Frege, which Pennsylvania fan base is more upset with the leadership or the direction of their team, the Philadelphia Flyers or the Pittsburgh Penguins? I, I, I would, geez, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I know the, the Philly fans hated the other night. You should see how many times I got DM video of DM video of the Rangers fans celebrating the overtime winner. In, in in Philly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and the Flyers fans, they were like, this is embarrassing. This is our city. Like, who, like, they're cheering for the, like, they said, one guy was like to me, if, if the Philly fans in, in the 70s, if the fans in Philly cheered, like, uh, a Ranger game, if the fans didn't kill them, the Broad Street Bill bullies would. Like, it's, yeah. it's very jarring to see that. So, and, and I'll say this: I don't think Pittsburgh is done. I think they may have some more things coming. Um, so, like that's the one thing I always say. People say, "Well, why does Pittsburgh do that, or why does Vancouver do that?" And my response is, I want to see it when it's over. After the deadline, I want to see what it looks like because sometimes these moves don't happen in a vacuum. It's it's a move to a move. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. But the Penguins fans are certainly mad. But the other thing is Philly. I don't know if they have a lot going on out there. I think they have JVR. I think they might like, 
Other teams are offering, at least as of last night, mid-round draft picks. Pittsburgh, I still think, may 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 have something big left in them, but uh, Philly, I'm not sure there's anything big coming out of there today. Fridge, um, I want to bring the conversation back to the Canucks because Thatcher Demko has looked uh, pretty darn good in his return yeah. to the lineup. Uh, looked good against Dallas, and then looked good last night against. Uh, Minnesota. Um, I know you wrote in your 32 thoughts that you expected uh, the Los Angeles Kings to maybe take a look at th- yeah. at acquiring Thatcher Demko. Um, the Kings went out and got Corpusalo instead, but he's a pending yeah. unrestricted free agent. So there's still that. Yeah. What will the Kings do long term there? Um, there mm-hmm. are going to be some teams, I'm sure, maybe one in Toronto or maybe one in Edmonton. Uh, after the playoffs, that's like we really need to address our goaltending. So I'm sure there will be a need for goaltending. What are you hearing on Thatcher Demko, if anything? Well, I, I do think he is someone who's potentially on the Kings' radar. Who's on the Kings' radar long term? Until the Kings sort out their uh, goaltending situation long term, I would believe that Demko is someone who's on their radar. I just am not convinced it's going to be now. I never have been. Um, you know, like. He, you're right. He's come back. He's looked pretty good. I just think it's a risk, um, simply because you know if, if if this season matters to you and it matters to the Kings, you know he hasn't played a ton. So I think that's more likely a, a summer deal than a current one. Again, I could be wrong, but I, I think it's more likely summer. The only thing I could see now now is guys is that someone made this point that was a good one to me was are you a team that wants Demko but maybe you're out of the playoffs and you say okay we'll do this now so we at least know that we have but I think if it's if it's an organization or a team like LA uh, I think it's more likely summer now I want to cover all our bases here because you know what I got guys I gotta run okay quick Okay. Uh, well, you know, we'll forget about it. Go, you run, go, go do your work and uh, enjoy the deadline day. I'm sure you'll do a terrific job, Elliot. Thanks for joining us today. Godspeed, <laughs> Elliot. Thanks, bud. Yeah, Elliot Freeman, Sportsnet's very own here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Maybe he's ready to break a trade. Yeah. That'd be cool. Maybe it's the Demko one. Or he just wanted to get off the phone with us. Right. He was like, enough of this. So I'm yeah. going to get radioed soon. It's actually probably the latter. Okay. Um, there was a lot to unpack there. Um, you know what? Let's, because he talked about Philly. And we got a couple minutes here, and I think we could use a little boost of energy. So let's do that, okay? So for those that don't know what we're talking about here as we brought it up, it was a good question, by the way. Whose fan base in Pennsylvania is more upset, Phillies or Pittsburgh's? The Philadelphia Flyers are in a real bad state right now. They're not a good hockey team. They don't really have an identity. They've kind of become irrelevant in Philly, in part because a lot of the other teams have like, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Eagles played in the Super Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Remember that? They've had some success, though. The Phillies were in the World, World Series. Series. So there's a lot of other teams doing stuff. And the Flyers are doing nothing. They hired John Tortorella. And I think they thought that that was going to kind of spark something. And it, I'm going to be honest, it really hasn't. The team has kind of been, meh. Torts has said stuff. He's kind of been entertaining. But it just hasn't resonated. I don't think they had expectations for making the playoffs this season, though. I think they were just bringing in Torts to set a new culture for a Flyers team that really has lost its way. And they don't really even have one. So yesterday, it was it was a rant for the ages off the heels of what Frege was talking about. They played a game against the Rangers in Philly. Pretty traditional rivalry there. 
longstanding. Now, part of the story is that the Patrick Kane trade got consummated, and I think a lot of Rangers fans snapped up tickets because they thought that was going to be the Patrick Kane debut game. It ended up being last night. it's not that crazy that Rangers fans would infiltrate the building, but apparently it was to the point where it was embarrassing for Philadelphia, a very proud sports city, and they don't like people coming in, and they don't like people dominating the building as much as they did. So this is from 97.5 The Fanatic in Philly. This was the morning show host's opening rant about Comcast, who owns the Flyers, the current state of the Flyers, in Philadelphia, and how disappointed he is in the current state. It's a long clip. It's very emotional. We'll just let it ride. It'll boost some energy. Uh, 97.5, the fanatic in Philly on the state of the Philadelphia Flyers. I got to start with the Flyers, all right? Because what we saw last night and the Rangers fans, the New Yorkers, taking over the building... All right, this is this is one of the low points. Like when we think about low points of a franchise, this is part of the low points. Sell the team, sell it, sell the team, sell this team, take it out of jail, take it out of Comcast jail, sell it, sell the mother father. Sell it. They have systematically destroyed this team. Destroyed it. Chuck Fletcher is Kevorkian. He's Kevorkian. Put it to bed. Now revive it. Get rid of it. Sell it. It's embarrassing. Completely embarrassing. And on a night when Ranger fans take over the building, and I got news for you. Don't let anybody blame the fans, okay? Please, I don't want to hear that at all. This is disgraceful, what's happened in the Flyers. I mourn the death of the Flyers. I mourn. I mourn them. I miss the Flyers. I do. I have to tell you, over the last couple days, I've been thinking a lot about them, and I miss them. I mourn them. This is a disgrace what's happening. So that was some American sports talk radio right so there. So good. So good. So good. So that's Anthony Gargano. Right. Um, from 97.5 in Philadelphia. That is oh, their the, own version of Tony G. The, <laughs> but that is the flagship station for the Philadelphia Flyers. They're the ones that do the pre and the post and the broadcasts and everything. Mm-hmm. And he came on in the morning. I mean, that's about as direct and as blunt as you can be. Also, a guy that might not care about his employment. But, I, I mean, it's stunning in one, hand, in one sense to hear someone talk like that. But very reflective of how passionate the fan bases are in a lot of places. Yeah. Sell the mother father! Some people won't put up with mediocrity or a rudderless ship. They just won't. They won't have patience. They won't want to hear about a plan or maybe not even hear about a plan. A lot of people texting and never play a clip of this guy again. His voice makes me want to drive off a bridge. Another text, never play that again. 
cringe. Yeah, that's American Sports Talk Radio. That's what you get down there. I remember being in Boston for the uh, some something maybe Stanley Cup final. I don't know. I can't remember. It might have been the Canucks involved. I don't know. Two thousand eleven. Who's to say? I turned on Boston Sports Talk Radio. I was like, yikes! Like this is it's it's yelling. Like yep. it's a lot of it's a lot of yelling and just like really hard takes and like black and white. Oh, there's no dis- there's no discussion. It's just one guy's like, I have prepared a rant, yeah, and I am going to rant. But that's that's the market. Like you've seen, uh, e- the ESPN shows, right? Like mm-hmm. who's got the hottest take today? Again, I get it. Like Vancouver's not that. Like we've been to Philly multiple times. That guy is a reflection of Philadelphia. That's not it. That's not like an, an act. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hyperbolic, sure, but. Philly is a sports town. Mm-hmm. Like they love all those teams. I don't like the Flyers are a big deal. Remember when we They're less of a big deal now though. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. To the phone lines we go. Former Stanley Cup champion, now the director of the NHL's Office of Social Impact, Growth, and Legislative Affairs. What a title. Andrew Ference now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing all right. Yourself? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We want to get into a bunch of different topics with you, but we want to start with this new initiative that the NHL has, NHL Street. So um, it is essentially what the name implies, is a street hockey program that's going to go around North America. I know you guys did a festival and showcase. In fact, there was one in Vancouver not too long ago. Uh, I know there's a lot of different talking points off this, but can you give our listeners a sense of uh, the inspiration, the idea behind launching or relaunching in some sense the NHL Street program? Yeah, for sure. And I'll try not to get on my soapbox. <laughs> We've been working on this for a couple of years, but, you know, essentially we really do want to, you know, grow our fan base. Uh, that's the uh, the gist of it for the NHL is to make sure that we're going into um, communities that are thriving with hockey and give, you know, kids that are already into the sport uh, another option uh, that is a, a lot more chill than the, than the elite hockey path where, you know, your, your costs and your uh, commitment have to be pretty sky high. Uh, you know, we're offering a version that's going to, you know, have music playing, not a whole lot of coaching, a lot of freedom, of, you know, for creativity, and you know, it'll look and feel a lot different. We, we compared a lot to, and, and mi- try to mimic uh, the idea of and one basketball back in the day, if you guys hmm. remember that. Yeah. And uh, and obviously the, the the real attractive part for us is to work with a partner um, to go into communities where we've never been, uh, into the you know, El Paso's of the world and Austin, Texas, you know, Portland, Oregon, into the Maritimes, even where, you know, we're outside of the range of our NHL clubs, which, you know, typically a lot of our, you know, programs have, have been run through. Uh, and so getting into all the spaces in between, uh, NHL cities is, is what, you know, the ultimate, uh, uh, huge priority of, of the program is as well. Um, you know, introduce people to hockey, but introduce them to a, a version of it. That's pretty fun, you know, easy to pick up easy to access and, and uh, you know, quite frankly, we're really not on the menu in a lot of, uh, of these places. So just putting hockey on the menu of, of uh, uh, the choice for, you know, parents when they're signing their kids up for, for different activities for the year. 
You know, it's, it's interesting that you brought up and one and what they did with basketball. I, th- there's a documentary on Netflix now talking about the history and the, the arc of the, that whole brand and what they did. And it, it's interesting because a lot of the genesis of it was taking the sport that existed, but making it their own and making it look the way that they wanted it to look like. And that's what I had one did. I know I heard you on Merrick, uh, Merrick's show about a week ago, and you used that phrasing, which I thought was really interesting, that you get to take the sport and make it look however you want to look. And that's a really interesting approach, especially when there's not always ice available. There's not always equipment available. Like, you can still go out and do this and make hockey look the way you want it to look. Yeah, we want it to be accessible. We don't want to just kind of take the skates off and and try to do the exact same thing off the ice. Like, it, it should have its own attitude. If you're going into places... Uh, and, and into communities where, you know, hockey isn't necessarily a, a huge. And even for that fact, if you're going into communities where it is huge, you know, we, we were in Surrey for an event uh, uh, earlier this summer and you know, ball hockey is huge there. They have, they have their own culture. It's not just ice hockey without the skates, right? So we really want to uh, make sure that, you know, this is a place that looks different. It feels different. It's going to be a bit of a sandbox, you know, for us to try new, you know, creative designs, you know, and kind of take the, take the handcuffs off of some of our, uh, uh, creativity, you know, both as, you know, at the NHL level, but also as, you know, as players and, and organizers. So everything from, you know, the way it, the way it looks, uh, the music that's played, you know, like I said, the, the, the gameplay itself, you know, we, we do want it to be a bit of a, um, a misfit, if you want to call it that, sure, yeah. and, and hopefully it has a really positive impact on the traditional game as well. I mean, uh, and one, I think if you look back in the day, it really did pull the NBA into, you know, what it is today with, with some of the style and some of the moves and some of the, uh, the attitude that, 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 you know, really kind of defined and one back in the day that, that did set it apart. It, it, it tugged on, you know, traditional basketball in a certain way. Um, you know, the other thing we use as an analogy is, is if you if you look at snowboarding as a you know, what it did to the ski hills, you know, by introducing new fashion, new music, new style, you know, new, a new way of coming down the hill. Uh, at the beginning, it was kind of a uh, you know <clears throat> something very different, and, and now today, you know, you look at uh, the influence that it's had on that whole industry, uh, even for kids skiing. So, you know, within certain sports or categories, I think that there's plenty of room for things that look and feel and sound different and you know i think we hope to be that in, in hockey and, and you know while we're doing that give kids a, a chance to come show up have a really fun night without a ton of pressure and walk away just you know not necessarily you know thinking first about oh my skill development or my coach taught me you know x's nose so well <laughs> you know it's not that kind of program mm-hmm. it's, it's more about having fun and, and making friends and and having a really great experience and and should they be lured into wanting to go uh, into more competitive hockey there's there's plenty of pathways for them to do that too are you still good in good enough shape to play ball hockey ball hockey is exhausting man Hockey's you know <laughs> the, the one the one key thing is we we play on smaller courts <laughs> perfect yeah perfect that, that came up i said the first thing that came up i'm like look <laughs> Nobody likes to run the full size of a rink. We got to make these rinks smaller. It's, that's the worst part of ball hockey. So we actually do play on smaller rinks, uh, which I think legitimately does make it a lot more fun. Uh, we're speaking with Andrew Ferentz here on, on the Halford and Bruff show. Um, Andrew, it's trade deadline day today. Do you have any uh, big memories of trade deadline? I know you were traded from Calgary to Boston in February. I don't know if that was a deadline day, but any memories of, of, of this specific day? Yeah, well, it was close enough for me. I was I was actually telling the stories uh, at rugby yesterday, and, and some of the some of the coaches there were asking about it. And so I told the story of that trade. We we were on a road trip in 
in Buffalo and had just finished the game. And so, you know, it's pitch blackout and I forget where we're even supposed to go next Detroit or something like that. So we're all sitting on the bus, literally just, you know, waiting to go and, and, and guys are getting a little ticked off because the bus isn't leaving on time. And so everybody's kind of starting to chirp a bit. And then sure enough, about, you know, we're about 10 minutes late for, for leaving and the, and the assistant coach walks on, comes down to my seat and literally just says like, sorry, bud, you're traded. <laughs> like, it's the weirdest thing, like collecting your bags off yeah. the bus and like walking off and like saying bye to the guys, you know, like, you're like, all right, see you maybe. <laughs> you know, see you never. You know, whenever. <laughs> Gra- I grab my, you know, grab my uh, hockey bag and sticks off the bottom of the bus and, and it literally drove away. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is something else. And, uh, and, uh, luckily, luckily enough, actually, uh, uh, Tony Ludman, uh, who I played with in Calgary, he, he had been traded to Buffalo. So he, he was, he hadn't left the rink yet. So he came out and he's like, Hey, you want to ride to the hotel? So <laughs> at least I didn't have to wait for a taxi, but, um, that's, that's how it goes down. You know, you can call the, call a family and tell them that, you're not coming home and, and that's that. So there's, there's some weird ones for sure. You know, the stories of guys walking down the hallway, you know, after morning skate to play for the other team. And, uh, it's, it's an odd day for sure. It's, it's got a weird feeling around the room. Well, you were traded to the Boston Bruins and you ended up winning a Stanley Cup with the Bees. I can't remember which team you guys beat in the Stanley Cup final, but it doesn't really it's matter. It's so long ago. It's anyway, so long ago. Like, who, well, <laughs> we don't need to rehash this. Um, do you still Are you still watching the Bruins? Because I, I watched them play the Sabres last night and just they dominated the, the Sabres. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Patrice Bergeron because this might be Patrice Bergeron's last season. When you first saw him play, did you have any idea that he was going to have the type of career that he's had? Well, I mean, you'd probably be the first to admit it too, is like you you can be as dedicated as you want and, and work as hard as you want, but, you know, you do need a bit of a stroke of luck to stay healthy and, um, you know, all the things that you can't control have to, have to go right. You know, you, you remember he, he had a really bad couple concussions, um, so even, you know, first, I can't remember if it was my first year in Boston or second year, but he had a really bad one, probably missed, seemed like half a year. He was, he was out, uh, uh, for quite a while. So, you know, from a pure work ethic and attitude point of view, and obviously his skills are good, but it's more about the work ethic and attitude hundred percent. I mean, the guy was so committed, um, you know, incredibly curious about how he could, how he could get better. So him and Char together were <laughs> like, uh, pretty good, you know, cause they could feed off each other's uh, interest in, in, in bettering themselves and becoming, you know, really great leaders and, and just setting the example, right. They're, they're definitely not cheerleaders, uh, you know, but they do the right thing every single day. Um, so as far as that goes, it's no surprise at all. He's, he's just, um, you know, the ultimate, uh, you know, teammate and, and, and person to kind of lead by example. So I'm just glad that he, you know, you know, like I said, has stayed healthy and, and has had a, you know, such an amazing career because he certainly deserves it. You've been part of leadership groups on a number of teams. You're part of the leadership group in Boston, and then you went to Edmonton and were immediately named the captain of the Edmonton Oilers. What does it take to, to build a leadership group? Because we're having a lot of conversations about that in Vancouver. Well, the best leadership groups, I mean, 
they're they're big <laughs> i should say you know i think that the full buy-in is so key um you know right down and not only the players but you know the coaches and the gm like you, you really need that organizational buy-in and everybody on the same page and not just kind of symbolically but like really believing it um so like that's the biggest thing i've, I've seen is um, we actually had a similar uh, a similar culture in calgary we went to the finals against Tampa Bay and, you know, Jerome was, was a captain, Daryl, uh, you know, was, Daryl was there coaching and, and it, uh, you know, you can have, I think any kind of thing on paper or on the whiteboard saying like, this is who we are and this is our culture and this is what we want to be. But unless everybody in that room really believes it, it it's, you know, in name only. Uh, so, you know, whether you have a great captain or whether you have, you know, you know, a couple guys in the room that are, are really great supporting cast. Um, you know, I think the ability to to really lead takes, you know, somebody that's able to bring each individual in, give them, you know, a really key role, make them feel like the most important person in the room. You know, where the, the fourth line guy that plays three minutes, he thinks those are the, you know, most important three minutes the, that, that the team needs, right? And, and, and without him, you know, we're not, we're not who we are. So, you know, the, the, the leaders that are really good, you know, they're the ones that do that and make sure everybody feels like, that, you know, they're, they're an important piece of that team and they, they really do feel valued and, and like they're part of the process. So um, it's tough <laughs> for yeah. sure. I can tell from, you know, I can tell you from experience, it's really easy to say and, and really hard to do, um, you know, when everybody's got their own, you know, personal goals and agendas as well, you know, to make sure everybody's is really truly, you know, putting the team first is, is way easier to say. Does it take different types of personalities in that leadership group? And maybe not, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but there were some different personalities on that Bruins team from you to your goaltender, who was so good in 2011 yeah. to guys like, you know, Marshawn and, and Lucic and, and Patrice Bergeron. You know, I, I'm sure you guys weren't always, best of friends in there or didn't necessarily agree on, on, on everything. But I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if like having different types of personalities is actually a feature as opposed to a problem. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it, the NHL is not about being friends. Um, you know, I think that's the big difference between, you know, junior hockey and, and when you do come to the NHL and that's something that we tell rookies right, right on day one is like, if you want to make this transition quick, like you better realize very quickly that this isn't about being buddies and, you know, guys are, you know, have families and they're doing their thing and everybody's trying to, you know, keep their job for as long as you can. And, and, you know, like I said, there's those personal agendas all over the place. So if you, if you think it's about being friends, like that's, you, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. So the thing it is about is, is about respect. And, and like I said, creating creating an environment where everybody doesn't feel like they're they're trying to be something like you know they're not trying to force themselves to kind of be you know what they think a hockey player is or what they think you know that team you know wants them to be it's them being allowed to be themselves being being allowed to kind of show up to the rink who they are whether that's you know, like you said our goalie uh, Tim Thomas or, or me who are pretty different ends of the spectrum you know, outside of the rink, but when you come inside the rink, we're on the exact same spectrum, right? You know, we're there for the same reason. We're there, like I said, committed to 
<clears throat> committed to the exact same ideals, you know, within the locker room and, and, and when we, when we strap on the skates and, and so I think that's the big difference is, is kind of making that transition to, like I said, you know, pulling on the exact same rope, you know, when it comes to hockey and, and, and being okay with, you know, not being on the same page outside of hockey. Right. That's fine. That's great. You know, people are healthy when they feel like they can be themselves and they're not trying to, you know, pretend to be something else. They're going to get the best productivity out of somebody that's, you know, that, that is comfortable. Right. So uh, if they feel like they can do that and they can feel like you still got their back no matter what, that's a really good combination. I, I think the the message though that that I'm hearing from you though is is it's tough to form that leadership group and it's tough to form that culture because there are so many competing interests. Like, how do you marry the individual goals and telling these rookies like you know like I'm not here to be your buddy here. Um, you know, I've I've got a family to feed. I've got a job to do. We're all hyper competitive individuals. We want to get paid a lot of money as much as we can. Um, so how do you marry that with the whole idea of like, we got to bring this team together and we got to sacrifice for each other when you're also in this environment of, I'm also looking out for myself. Well, any successful team is, is all you have to point to, right? I mean, you look at, look at the Bruins that year that we did win or, you know, some of the more successful teams that, that I've been on almost the entire roster has, you know, outpace the the average career of an NHLer um, as far as games played. You know, years in the league. Um, you know, the longevity of a career. If, if you're on winning teams, you're dubbed a winner, whether that's fair or not. It's uh, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so if you're part of a team that that can figure it out and and can sometimes sacrifice a little bit of that you know personal um, you know personal agenda and and really dedicate it to a team, you know, you make the playoffs a few few years in a row and and have deep runs and and perform as an individual within those playoffs, you know, that's your ticket to a long career. You know, should you stay healthy? Should you, you know, do the right things and and continue to work? So short term, yeah, you want to go and try to get a couple highlight reel goals and, and, you know, give up the puck 20 times, like have at her, you know, you might get, you know, a decent contract next, you know, because, somebody believes that they can change you but you know it it doesn't lead to a long career as much as you know being on a really solid team that that's known as winners you know and and, you know the superstars you know the guys that have so much skill like yeah they can probably get away with a little bit more and um, that's a dangerous combo when you don't have a team player that's you know good enough to kind of get away with it Uh, but for all those you know, second, third, fourth liners and all the, you know, deep pairings underneath the, the, the studs, uh, the message is a lot easier because, you know, all those guys get it pretty quick and, and you can point to many examples around the league of guys that just had really extended careers because they, they did buy in and they, they, they played the team, team game first. Andrew, this has been a terrific chat. Thanks for joining us today. Um, good luck with NHL Street. Um, if you ever need anything from us, let us know. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good day today. Thanks. You too. Appreciate it. That's Andrew Ferentz, uh, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, now the chairperson for the NHL behind NHL Street, which was in Vancouver earlier. He mentioned it. They were out in Surrey, I think, in earlier this year, like 2023. Mm-hmm. And Because there's a massive ball hockey community out in Surrey. And this is going to be a cool initiative where they just literally go play. The other part that he didn't really get into that I heard him talk about was like no coaching. Right. whatsoever like they're, they're gonna 
They'll give every Fucks in deep boys. Right. Like, F- They'll go into the parking lot. Where does F2 go? Like, <laughs> I, I, I think the important thing is that, um, and this goes across all youth sports is we totally ignore the fact that it's trade deadline day today. There's mm-hmm. nothing happening right now. Um, the idea of overcoaching and structuring and skills coaches and power skating clinics and everything else that goes into the broad spectrum of let's make money off a bunch of children playing sports. Um, there is a sense that like kids almost, if, if my kid is, I, I've tried to push him to do this. I'm like, take this ball. Yeah. Go down to the park and go play. I don't need to be there. We don't need to set up cones. We don't need to set up any drills. Find another kid that's there <laughs> and just try and play. They did it the other week and it was like a revelation. He's like, we just went down to the field and there were some other kids there and we played a game. I'm like, yeah, you can do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm coaching kids. Uh, it's actually just a U7 hockey team and it was funny the other the other day we were we were at the, we were on I was on the bench and one of the other coaches was telling the kids a few things you know about like you know you got you got to back check and yeah. you got to get back defensively and I'm kind of like I'm not rolling my eyes but I've coached before and I and I and I know the age of the kids and like they're like they're listening they were listening they're like yeah yeah and then they get to the get to the bench with me and it's like there's like a moment of silence mm-hmm. and then one of the kids goes I got a Sidney Crosby hockey card. Yeah. I'm like, you know, that's what they're thinking of, right? They're not, they're not, I mean, that, and that's a different age. I mean, that's very young. So, no, but the point is, there's not a lot of, but, but, but I, but I, but I was looking at the, the other coach for the other team and he's like, he's like, just like drilling them with like stuff. Like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And in, in their heads, they're like, I hope we can get Tim Hortons after this, yeah, right? That, that's that's it. Like the, the fun, the fun concept. Don't get me wrong. Like I understand that everyone wants, if you, especially if your kid's good at it, uh, you want them to play at a higher level yeah. and push their abilities and see how they can do. But the reality of it is, is there are a lot of kids I bet that are playing their respective sports and have probably never played it outside the lines, mm-hmm. like outside the practice facility or they've never had a game or a scrimmage that wasn't coached like that's a big part of it yeah is don't coach see what they do and even if the rules are messed up and they're not doing things properly you, you see if they can figure it out yeah. one anyway i'm on uh, i'm on a soapbox i yeah, do that time you are from time to time uh it was a terrific uh interview with andrew ference uh maybe we can revisit later in the show today or later on uh, I guess not this week because it's Friday, but mm. next week. But just some of the things he said about building cultures and having different types of personalities and making sure that everyone can be themselves. But also, um, I really loved the stuff where he said, you know, you we tell the rookies, like, this isn't about being buddies. This isn't about being friends. Yeah, because, that was awesome. Because I still think that there's some people here that are like, you know, like, we, you know, you gotta, it's kind of like, I don't think sometimes people appreciate how competitive these guys are and how different they can be. This is not, this is not your everyday workplace, right? Like this, this isn't, this is professional hockey. These are guys that will do anything to stay in the league. Um, and a lot of times when, you know, I see like, you know, uh, 
a message could be like, they're being too hard on this guy, or they're being too mean to this guy. They well, didn't invite him to the Halloween party. No, 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 no. Don't get to, <laughs> don't don't distract. Don't distract. But I, I'm talking about coaches being I hard know. on young players or hard on young prospects. They're testing them. They're testing them to see if they can deal with the adversity, if they can deal with the competitiveness, if they can deal with the nastiness of, say, the playoffs. Sure. And if they can't, guess what? They're out. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't deserve to be in the NHL because it's a hard league. It's not supposed to be easy. Sure. This is why these guys are getting paid so much. This is why they are the best of the best. Now, I'm not advocating bullying. I'm not advocating being mean to guys. I'm not advocating hazing guys to test them. I'm not. But I'm saying, like, it's a sink or swim league. Yeah. And sometimes guys will sink, and that's just the way it is. And in order to build a culture, yes, you need to be inclusive and you need to let people be themselves, but you also need to test them. And I think Talkett's, um, like with Kuzmenko, is a great example. Like he challenged him, and guess what? Kuzmenko responded. Some guys won't respond to that. And guess what? You're not going to win with those guys. Yeah. So you keep the guys that you win with. The ecosystem is hilarious when you think about it. You know, we always say it can be both things at once. It can be the most amazing place to make friends, like the deepest, closest bonds imaginable, right? The band of brothers going to war with your brothers. And it can also be the worst at the exact same time. Yeah. Because it's so hyper competitive. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to marry the two things. It really is. And yeah. you can tell that. Uh, I mean, we didn't ask we didn't ask him about this, but you can tell that he was saying like, "Yeah, we had a great culture in Calgary and Boston." Didn't weren't you the captain in Edmonton? Right, yeah. like he went there and cl clearly he's talked the, about that on the yeah, record. The, yeah, the culture wasn't yeah. there, and it was tough for him because he'd never played for the Oilers, and they're like, "You're the captain." For example, in Boston, you could not have two people more diametrically opposed philosophically, politically, than Andrew Ference and Tim Thomas. I've heard countless stories about how. And he put it out there, too, opposite ends of the spectrum. And that's almost in every imaginable personality trait, characteristic, like I said. And they, when you see them when they all unite with one another. All that stuff gets pushed to the background because they were able to forge this great lasting relationship because of strong leadership, good culture, and realizing that this is about the job playing hockey and winning mm -hmm. and you can build lifelong friendships out of that. The, the flip side of the coin is those same things can tear a room apart and can make it divisive and individualistic where guys just don't like one another so, and oftentimes it's it's a weird chemistry thing that doesn't have anything to do with personality a lot of the times it just has to happen uh, it has to do with is the team winning that's, that's and that's team, a big part of it. Or is the team losing? This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.